think I just interrupted the bass solo. <laughs> I apologize, Ben. I apologize. Good morning and welcome to worship here at the table. My name is Matt, and along with Linda, we serve as co-pastors, and we're so grateful to just be together um, this morning and to move into worship. Our music team is going to help us with a song that comes to us from the brilliance. This is called Gravity of Love. So I invite you to stand either in body or spirit and join us as you feel led or moved. Oh, 
what will become of this story inside my chest? Will I excavate it from my bones? Give it light and water and air? Let it bloom into a garden of flowers in your name? Or will I let it stay and let you bury me? This is the question I am always asking myself. What will become of my stories? Gardens or graveyards? The photosynthesis of healing.
quite chilly today. Oh, I think I've said this, my tropical body is still not used to this cold. <laughs> Welcome. My name is Sarneet Prasad, and I'm the Sunday morning coordinator here at the table. We welcome those online. Steven Starr is our host today. Today's bulletin is available with a QR code, Those in the Century, and a link will be shared for those online. If you would like to learn more about our community of eight, please go to our website, thetableumc.org, and complete an online, online connect card. When you feel ready to connect with others, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith, which is designed to help newcomers learn more about the table and how we share life here at the table. Learn more and sign up on our website. Um, this Sunday, I met a bunch of um, Growing in Faith group, um, I mean, people who were doing Growing in Faith. And I say this all the time whenever I'm there, uh, is that I meet so many wonderful people, and every growing in faith is a different atmosphere and a different love, I would say. And it's always beautiful just to meet new people and share life with each other. And some of them make me cry, <laughs> and I love that. Please note, we have... Um, we have a pop-up service at Davis UMC today at 4 p.m. If you would like to learn more about the possibility of being baptized or celebrating the baptism of a child in your family, our co-pastors will lead an orientation to baptism after our 11 a.m. worship next Sunday, March 10th, here at The Century. Please sign up on our website, thetableumc.org. Also, the sign-up for Easter voluntary is also open, so please sign up on our website, thetableumc.org. We will continue to move in worship with our music team sharing another new song we created last month while on a writing retreat. And I think I have said this, it's a magical place, and <laughs> this is magic every week is being created. <laughs> This is a very new time, and first time we shared this song, We Belong. The lyrics inc include writing from Mother Teresa, and this arrangement is by Ariel. Please remain seated as we continue in worship with We Belong. And you all are going to get to sing also. So exciting. I'll teach it. I'll teach the melody to you in a moment. And the words are just, we belong to each other, we belong to each other, we belong to each other, remember we belong.
try that all together. Here we go. We belong to each other. My name is Bob Martinez. First, I want to say what a beautiful message on this Lenten Sunday to hold close. We belong to each other. Remember, we belong. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite our children to move from the sanctuary to their godly place sanctuaries as our musicians help us with some walking music. I remind families that we receive an offering in Godly Play to support Mustard Seed School, which is a Montessori-based school for children who are part of families that are experiencing homelessness. We also have loving and professional care for our youngest children just down the hall throughout worship, both now at the 9.30 and in the 11 a.m. And Godly Play takes place upstairs, designed for children in elementary school, kinder through the sixth grade. Our reading this morning comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of John, and I'll be sharing from the First Nations version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament with minor revisions for inclusiveness. And of course, we invite you to follow along. 
Now the time of the year had come for the ancient Passover festival. Creator sets free, Jesus, made his way to the Great Spirit's Lodge in the village of peace, Jerusalem. As Creator sets free entered the Lodge, he saw people sitting at money tables. There were also others who were trading, buying, and selling the cattle, sheep, and doves for the ceremonies inside the Lodge. It was so crowded that there was no room for the people from other nations who had come to learn about the Great Spirit. They were not honoring the purpose of this holy place. So Creator Sets Free took some leather straps and made a whip. He cracked the whip to startle and move the animals and to drive all the people from the lodge. He tipped over the tables, which scattered their money on the floor. He then turned to speak to the ones who were selling the ceremonial doves. Go, he roared at them. Take these things from here. Do not make my Abba's sacred lodge into a trading post. The ones who walked the road with him listened and remembered the ancient prophecy. My desire to honor your sacred lodge burns like a fire in my belly. What gives you the right to do these things? The tribal leaders said to him. Prove yourself and show us a sign. Tear down this sacred lodge, he answered, and in three days I will raise it up again. The people shook their heads and said to him, It took 46 winters to build this great lodge. How could you raise it up in three days? They did not understand that he was speaking about the lodge of his own body. After he was raised up from the dead, his followers remembered what he said and then believed the ancient sacred teachings and the words that he spoke to them. I wonder what you see when you look at this piece of art. What if I told you this piece of art was on view at the Guggenheim Museum? Hmm. What if I told you this piece sums up the most formative experience of the artist's life, which is his family leaving their home and relocating to Europe and the experience of cultural assimilation. The artist and his grandmother arrived in Denmark fleeing Vietnam following the war. The refugees and the people immigrating there were given these objects a washer-dryer, a refrigerator, a TV, and a cross. The message to them was clear, you're now a part of this culture. These items were given as gifts to refugees to help make their lives easier. 
It was also simultaneously cultural assimilation. They were with this gift being told, this is what we value, this is how you should live your life. The artist's name is Don Bo. I wonder what you see when you look at this piece of art. Now I've got you really wondering. <laughs> it's a sculpture by Michael Blake. What if I told you the artist uses sculpture as a medium to break down dichotomies of public and private spaces while exploring taboo and desire? The doors you see are constructed of foam core, making them softer than they appear. What if I told you that this piece is in large part about being a gay man and thinking of a public restroom as both a place where you can find love, like a safe haven where you can have a romantic relationship, where you can be yourself. But it's also a place where you can get the crap beat out of you and you can fear for your life. where someone else might see two bathroom doors. Through Blake's eyes, along with the bliss and cruelty of being human, a person viewing this might understand the artist better, then understand one's own life better, and ultimately possibly understand other people's lives better. And then you might understand the experience of life better, and maybe, you experience empathy or compassion or even hope. How does a person develop an eye for art? How do we hone our understanding of what is going on beneath the surface of things? This morning we hear about the Jesus who had an eye for what was really going on in the temple beneath the surface of things. And he was not having it. It's a portrait of Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple. You heard Bob read it. Angry Jesus, violent even, making a whip out of cords, raising his voice. One commentator on the story said that this story makes the preacher and the congregation a little queasy. I get that. You won't find many pictures of the event Bob read about hanging on the walls of godly play sanctuaries. In fact, there aren't many artistic attempts to portray it all. El Greco does it, and Rembrandt painted it. It hangs in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. This is Christ driving the money changers from the temple drawn in 1635. It's kind of hard to see. Jesus is in the center. It's an incredibly strong, almost disturbing painting, chaotic, turbulent, angry, tables falling. There's dogs barking in there. Religious leaders looking on in splendid isolation. And at the center, striking out with a whip, is a strong, muscular, determined man, Jesus. 
Jesus walks into the temple witnessing multiple activities. We heard it read, the time of the year had come for the ancient Passover festival and creator sets free, Jesus, made his way to the great spirit's lodge in the village of peace. And as creator sets free entered the lodge, he saw people sitting at money tables. There were also others who were trading, buying and selling the cattle, sheep and doves for the ceremonies inside the lodge. It was so crowded that there was no room for the people from other nations who had come to learn about the great spirit. So what did Jesus see when he entered the temple or the lodge? What if I told you he saw politics at play, history unfolding, religion that was aligned with the empire, and a telltale mark of pay-to-play corruption? I don't know if you could see it in that picture or hear it in the story, but don't worry, I didn't see it at first, all of it either. So let's look again and see if we can't see through Jesus's eyes. First of all, I want to convey that it's complicated. It's complicated because it begins with the Roman Empire. If I say that at home, my kids would go, oh God. (laughs) It's three main characters are Jesus and two others, one of whom is already dead, Herod the king, and Caiaphas the high priest is there. Maybe you remember Herod's name from the Christmas story. Because he's the king who, when he learns from the Magi that a new king has been born somewhere close by, goes into a murderous rage and orders his soldiers to kill all the infants in Bethlehem, that guy. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph escape to Egypt and return when Herod dies a few years later. Herod was very impressive, and he was very successful as a politician. He reigned a long time. He left a huge legacy in Palestine. The Romans controlled and governed through local leaders or kings who agreed to be cooperative. We might call them puppets. They hold title and office, but they do the bidding of the real power, in this case, which was Rome, represented by a regional governor. Later in Lent, we will encounter one of them, Pontius Pilate. Herod was a half-hearted Jewish leader, and what I mean by half-hearted is he was not considered by Jewish people as devout. His survival strategy, actually, was to be more Roman than the Romans themselves. He built and built big, seven palaces for himself, each larger than the emperor's palace in Rome. He built cities and fortresses, Herod not only built big, he was smart, utterly cruel when he needed to be, and successfully balanced Roman interests and his people's interests. No small accomplishment because his people mostly despised him for being so cozy with the occupying Romans and for being such a half-hearted Jewish person. So Herod decided to build them a temple about 20 years before the birth of Jesus. And it took 46 years to complete, and it was, by all accounts, a knockout. Big, elegant, an architectural and aesthetic phenomenon built on an enormous platform. The edge of this platform is today known as the Western Wall in Jerusalem, still standing so far. The temple itself was made of white marble, 
Jewish people from all over the world traveled to Jerusalem to see it and be there for special feasts and festivals, the High Holy Days. The people in charge of Herod's temple, its maintenance and everything that happened in it, they were the priests. We would call them the pastors, probably. The head of the operation was the chief priest, and his name was Caiaphas. The Romans, who were pretty smart about controlling a hostile population, actually allowed the temple operation to levy and collect its own taxes. Now, if you are the chief priest and responsible for the welfare of the temple and the spiritual welfare of your people, it's a good idea to cooperate with the Romans, certainly not to alienate them or, like, irritate them. Caiaphas is good at his job, too. And he counts on the king to keep everything on an even keel with the Romans. And there's one more important detail. The way you worshiped God in Israel is by sacrifice. It's a deep tradition in the people, all the way back to Abraham. The way to thank God for God's mercy and God's steadfast love for the gift of your life and the lives of your children was by making a sacrifice of something that is precious to you, you give it back to God. And sometimes it's a portion of grain. If it's an animal, the priest slaughters it and burns it on the altar and the smoke rises into the heavens. That's the thinking. And that way God is pleased. <clears throat> the theology, if not the specific, actually continues to be at the heart of Jewish and Christian worship today out of our gratitude, you've heard us say it, we give generously. You can draw a line from sacrifice to giving. Something that noisy and messy requires some rules and regulations. That's where the priests come back in. Someone has to make sure the sacrifice is appropriate. You can't just bring in a sick lamb. It has to be a healthy lamb. So there are paid inspectors. And if you don't have a lamb or a pigeon, and most pilgrims did not, you ought to be able to buy one. How handy that there is a small livestock market there in the temple. The historians tell us that one of the innovations Caiaphas, the chief priest, came up with was to bring all of that inside to the temple for convenience, <laughs> where it could be controlled inside the outer temple court. And that outer temple court was open to everyone. The inner was just for Jewish people, but the outer was for Jewish and Gentiles. It was called the court of the Gentiles. Everyone was welcome there to visit and pray, all means all. There were tables, a currency exchange where you could exchange Roman coins for shekels because shekels were the only money that you could pay your temple tax with. Next, there were the inspection tables to assure that the sacrifice you brought along was acceptable, as I said. And finally, the livestock dealers where you could buy, depending on how much money you had, a pigeon, a pair of turtle doves, a lamb, a calf, even a full-grown bull. They were all there. Then up several flights of stairs was the altar where the sacrifice was actually consummated. So that, that, everything I just shared, is what Jesus saw 
when he came into the temple that day, chaotic and noisy. And he had an eye for the whole system behind it. Herod, who had tried to kill him, because, right, it's safe to assume that his parents had told him about that whole thing, I think. Caiaphas, who knew how to keep the politicians happy. A beautiful court whose actual purpose was to welcome all people turned into a shopping mecca, which actually was so crowded that it could barely hold the Jewish people. There was no room for the Gentiles, even. In my mind, at least, he takes this all in. Realization of what the sacred space has become washes over him. Disappointment rises up in him, and then he feels offended. That's a lot of feelings. Are you still with me? Okay. <laughs> empathy, empathy. Are you kidding me, he thinks. And his next move is pretty spectacular, if you ask me. The anger rises and overflows. They were not honoring the purpose of this holy place, it says. So Creator Sets Free took some leather straps and made a whip. Whew! He cracked the whip to startle and move the animals and to drive all the people out of the lodge. He tipped over the tables, we sang about that, which scattered their money all over the floor. You want to see people scramble? And let's not come to the conclusion that Jesus is attacking his own religious tradition. As always, Jesus is an observant and devout Jew. So we can assume regular visits to the local place of worship and to the temple by his family throughout his life and into adulthood. Eugene Peterson argues that to follow Jesus in the first century meant to follow him into the synagogue and temple and church. So if it isn't the temple and religion itself, what's Jesus so mad about? What if I told you that he is attacking a religion that has forgotten its purpose and lost its way? The temple has allowed itself to become aligned with King Herod, the collecting of taxes and money and the selling of forgiveness. Jesus stands there with that whip in a long line of justice-preaching prophets, Hosea, Micah, and Amos, with his move to cleanse the temple. In Amos, you read this, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, the text invites us to imagine Jesus entering spaces like this, the table, overturning our long-held rationalizations and driving us out in the name of God. For when we are honest, don't we put ourselves and our institutions at the service of powers that are decidedly less than God? 
What does that look like when we do that? What does it look like? There's an artist that I follow named Nicholas Gallinin, and he imagines it this way. What if I told you the title of this piece, which is enormous, by the way. You don't get scale here. The title is An Unmarked Grave Deep Enough to Bury Colony and Empire. The artist took measurements of the statue of the Queen of Victoria in Auckland, New Zealand. And those measurements were used to dig a hole large enough to bury the monument entirely. The soil that was displaced to create the hole remains visible, along with countless shovels, which it's harder to see from where you are, all around it, required to complete the work. The size and the depth of the hole along with the pile of removed earth is daunting to say the least. Numerous shovels are there to show you but also as an invitation. An invitation to action and a reminder of the collective participation that is required to bury the power structures of systemic oppression and damaging methodologies of colonization and imperial projects not just in New Zealand, but worldwide. The hole is a grave, not just for the statue, but also for the ideas foundational to imperialism and colonization. Finally, the grave is meant to be unmarked. Unmarked. The ideas, beliefs, tools, and artifacts buried there are not worthy of commemoration or reverence. They must not be visited with a longing or kindness, say, make Auckland great again, hats, for example. And the violence of empire and colony must be buried with complete commitment and finality. You got that queasy feeling again? There it is. Richard Rohr wrote about this very thing in his essay, When Anger Meets Love. It's a long quote, but it's worthy. He writes, whenever religion gets into the business of the buying and selling of God or of requiring sacrifices to earn God's love, we have a problem. When Jesus said, get these birds out of here, it's a clue to the source of Jesus's anger. The ordinary people had to sacrifice to be right with the priesthood and the temple. They sacrificed oxen and sheep. That's the ordinary people. But the very poor were allowed to offer doves. Mary and Joseph had to give doves when they brought the infant Jesus to the temple. That tells you something about their economic state, see? Jesus knows that his religion is not, then, taking care of the poor. In fact, it's stealing from the poor and making them give even the little they have to feel they are right with God. Jesus is angry about this, and many use this passage to justify violence because Jesus appears pretty violent here. But note that he's violent towards things, not toward people. 
He's liberating animals and trying to liberate the poor from their oppression. Of course, the religious leaders want to protect the building, the temple, but Jesus is redefining the temple and he identifies his body as the temple. The new temple is the human person. We are the body of Christ. In this moment, Jesus is making a great revolution, transforming religion from a concern for sacrifice to earn God's love into trust through which we know God's love. And where does that trust happen? In our bodies, in the human heart. There's actually great beauty in this scene if we look hard enough beneath the surface of things. There's passion and strength in Jesus' actions. Is it possible that this might make us want to be even a little more brave, a little less patient with injustice around us, more willing to speak up, take a stand, and even turn over a few tables of our own in the circles in which we travel? As we work as a congregation in this worship series on completing our own climate action plans and our Venn diagrams, is there material here in this story that makes you flinch a little bit about your own complicity in the way all of us have blanketed our planet of pollution, which causes irreversible overheating? I don't know about you, but I find it compelling and attractive, this Jesus who throws caution to the wind and risks offending all the powers to do the right thing. It's one of Spike Lee's greatest movies. What business as usual, right, in quotes, economic or otherwise, is God calling you to clear away in your personal household and being? What is God calling our community to bury in a hole in order to free our community's household? There he is in the center. This is the picture of Jesus who invites us today and actually I would venture every day to take up a cross and follow. Mm. So may we all hold and explore the queasy anxiety of seeing Jesus with a whip of cords, that whip of cords in his hand being wielded and hearing him with the righteous judgments of God on his lips. Knowing, remembering, he speaks for us, and he speaks with us, but also to us, and yes, sometimes even against us. Mm -hmm. And what if I told you our very lives depend upon doing this work? Amen.
The very one who would enter a temple and tie three cords into a whip to lay bare a deeper truth than most of the people around had recognized would also take the simplicity of a meal and bread and a cup and move into the most tender way with those right around. Both and were inside him. His body, a holy body, inviting us to see a temple not as a building around us, but his own body, and then inviting those nearest to him to see that we all belong to each other as one body. That was the story they gave, a way of moving from sacrifice to earn God's love into actually breaking bread and tasting bread as a way to internalize the truth of God's love. And so we, as followers of that way, in all of the ways that we stumble and fall short, come back to that same table to root our lives right there in that deep truth that is God's hope for the world. And so we invite you to pause. We're using a prayer of confession which comes to us during this Lenten season from an indigenous activist, Vine Deloria, and from Vine's book, God is Red, as a way to invite us to reflect on the ways that we, as a community, as a world, fall short of living into the depth of God's hope. So I invite you to stand either in body or spirit and to share our voices together with one voice, these words of confession. The lands of the planet call to humankind for redemption, but it is a redemption of sanity, not a supernatural reclamation project at the end of history. The lands wait for those who can discern their rhythms. The peculiar genius of each continent, each river valley, the rugged mountains, the placid lakes, all call for relief from the constant burden of exploitation. Who will find peace with the lands? The future of humankind lies waiting for those who will come to understand their lives and take up their responsibilities to all living things. Who will listen to the trees, the animals and birds, the voices of the places of the land? Hear these words of assurance from all the way back in the first century. Show yourself to those who are in need. Heal the sick, fill the hungry, give freedom to our prisoners. Console those who are faint-hearted. This way of Christ's beauty and love is yours this day and evermore. Let's say amen. 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 And I invite us into that ancient practice that the church has for reminding us that indeed we do belong to one another, that indeed in each and every neighbor around us is the presence of Christ. So friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And we invite you to turn to share a symbol of that peace with those near to you.
the giver of every good thing. You create the visible world and all it contains. You inebriate it with inexhaustible springs. You said, let us make humanity in our own image. And you gave us souls endowed with reason and judgment. And you gave us bodies endowed with five senses and with movement. And you brought us into this paradise of delights. But we scorned your commandment. You rightly thrust us forth from paradise, but you did not wholly reject us in our lost state. You promised to release us from the bonds of death so that we might live and rise from the dead. compassion descended and took up residence in the bread. See, the fire and the spirit are in the womb of her who bore you. Fire and spirit are in the rivers in which we are baptized. Fire and spirit in our baptis baptismal fonts and in the bread and the cup are fire and Holy Spirit. Christ's body has been newly mingled with our bodies. Christ's blood poured into our veins and Christ's voice in our ears and Christ's brightness in our eyes. In God's compassion, the whole of Christ is mingled with the whole of creation. us into prayer together with the words Jesus taught his disciples and this is a prayer that comes to us like that last piece of art from the New Zealand area this is their prayer book and it is a paraphrase so I invite you to pray together eternal spirit earth maker pain bearer life giver source of all that is and that shall be Father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echoes through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the earth. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. 
your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth with the bread we need for today feed us in the hurts we absorb from one another forgive us in times of temptation and test spare us from the grip of all that is evil free us for you reign in the glory of the power that is love now and forever amen pour your spirit god upon each of us gathered in this moment and over the gifts before us make these gifts your body and your love and make us through them your body alive in the world amen amen you may be seated all are welcome at the table of God's love, and when we say all are welcome, we mean everyone. Please know that if you are with us, joining us online, we would invite you right now to bring close to you whatever you are using for communion, your bread and your juice. For those of us here in this room, we will share this meal in the front and in the rear of the sanctuary. You will see platters which have uh, bread on them that was baked for us by Annie. And then in the center is a, a smaller dish with gluten-free crackers for those of us who can't have gluten. And in the cup, there is always juice. You are invited to take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup. We know that every week among us, there are people for whom this is something really different and new. And every week from among us, there are people for whom this is a life practice. Most of us are somewhere in the middle on that continuum, but always, always, we are kind to one another. You can't make a mistake or mess up. We watch over one another in love in God's divine dance. You're invited to be in prayer as you wait for the meal or afterwards. There are places all around the sanctuary, standing or kneeling to light candles, and you are always welcome to stay right where you are in your pew. Friends, this is the body of Christ and the bread of life broken for you all and the cup of God's forgiveness and healing poured out for the whole world.
We encourage those praying with candles to stay for just as long as you desire or need in that spirit of prayer. Loving God, for the breadth and the depth of your holy mystery revealed to creation in the simple and sacred act of breaking bread, we give you thanks. May this time open our hearts and our lives, our bodies, our souls, that we might move in ways that align with your healing and your liberating love in the world now and always. Amen. Friends, we do hope that you will wonder about the way God's love moving in your life might inspire your own generosity. And we know that takes many forms here in our community. For many of us, part of our way of responding to God's love is by sharing of our own resources and aligning those with one another to do radical things in the world, like move down to start growing food alongside neighbors in South Sacramento to give away through an interfaith food bank and so many other ways that this community reaches in love. And we commend that to you and hope that you will join with us in reaching in love in those ways. We will gather next Sunday after worship here in the sanctuary in the front to talk about baptism for either you or for a child in your family. And we encourage you to sign up online so that we can anticipate the folks who will be joining us for that time. There are just a couple of openings. Our next two Growing in Faith series are both full. There are a couple openings in the one that'll start in Sacramento that we encourage you to sign up today because I think there's maybe just one or two more spots in that one. And then there is a retreat format in Davis for folks that might be interested in that that'll happen in April. And that one has a few more openings. And then lastly, for those of us that have not voted, vote. Vote, vote, vote. So I invite you to stand in body or spirit. Um, we're going to go out this morning in song. This is our music team as Solabel sharing Reach Out.
What business as usual is God calling you to clear away? What is God calling our community to bury in a hole in order to free all of us? If you go away from this place, I hope you're remembering already. We belong to each other. And I want to reach out. If you remember nothing else, we belong to each other. I want to reach out. Go in peace. Thank you.